Radical Truth is a podcast produced by TBLI Group and hosted by Robert Rubenstein. TBLI is making the financial system work for all. Our podcasts cover the wide range of ESG and impact investing topics. What it is, why is it booming, is it really helping, is impact regenerative in nature? How will climate change impact investments? There will be regular interviews with thought leaders, some known, some not known, but all brilliant, and we will have engaging conversations with all of them. Can we create an economy based upon well-being? Let's make the financial system work for all. This is Radical Truth. There is over four times more wealth than there is GDP. This vast wealth is concentrated in very few hands who often use that wealth to avoid paying taxes and influence the political process at the detriment of society. This needs to change. Marlene Engelhorn comes from a family of wealth. She's been active in campaigning and raising societal awareness about the dangers of wealth concentration in a few hands. This is Radical Truth. So I'm really excited that uh, I was able to convince Marlene Engelhorn. We didn't need much convincing, uh, but she's a busy schedule. Uh, who, in, in my eyes, is really a, a superstar when where it seems that most um, millennials of wealth seem to be busy with partying. Uh, Marlene is trying to make the, uh, the economic system work for everyone through policy changes. So if you're not familiar with uh, Marlene Engelhorn, uh, I'm not going to give a full introduction to her. She's just a brilliant person and started an organization called Tax Me Now. So Marlene, for those who are from a different planet and never heard of you before, if you could give a little bit of your journey, um, you know, where where did it start uh, for, with your grandfather, which kind of led you to where you are, and why are you doing what you're doing? Well, first of all, Thanks for having me. This is really a great pleasure and honor. Also, whoever doesn't know me is perfectly normal. I'm much I'm active in the German speaking part of Europe. And so it's it's perfectly okay not to have an idea of who the hell I am. And so um, a little bit about me and this grandfather thing you mentioned. Um, So I, I was born into an extremely rich family. My great, great, great something, something ancestor, Friedrich Engelhorn, founded BASF, which is, I think, the most successful chemical business thingy in this world. But he exited it quite soon at the end of the 19th century. So I'm not connected to that in any way other than that his wealth also contributed to then making Böhringer Mannheim, a pharmaceutical uh, company, huge and that was sold at the end of the 90s, 1990s, I think around 97, for an, an amount that was unknown before that in the whole world of selling companies to other companies in order to create monopolies, I guess. And so of this wealth, my family lives until this day. And I learned two years ago that I was going to inherit a large sum very soon in life not waiting for my parents to die, but my grandmother's going to pass it along. And my grandfather, he, when he passed, she got all his shares. And when they sold, she got all money. And so that's how this comes to me. 
and I decided that um, I need to figure out what this means when I, at, on the one hand, want to have a political view of a fair world, and at the other, on the other hand, I'm really in the most unfair place you can be because I get wealth for having done nothing other than being born into the right name. And so I started to ask a lot of questions, learn a lot via exchange, and eventually um, find other like-minded wealthy people who alongside me create Tax Me Now, an initiative that was really using our um, privileged access to media in order to have this topic dealt with by everyone, frankly, everyone. We will talk to everyone about this in order to make this something that will not be taken off the political agenda anymore so that people don't talk about whether or not we should tax wealth, but only about how we can do it in a way that is just and transparent and most of all democratic, because right now what we have is a wealth distribution that has nothing to do with fairness or with any logic whatsoever. There is no reason behind the way we split profit other than greed of, of the few or the idea that they are better than someone else and deserving of more, which is ridiculous and inhumane, if you ask me. But I'm very, very radical in that regard. And so how to create transparency? It helps if you have data and how to collect data. Taxation can help to create data and transparency around who holds the wealth, who has the power, how much wealth is held by whom. All of these questions you can answer if, if the public interest is strong enough and forces people to disclose how much power they hold when they hold the wealth. And when I talk wealth, I, I really mean the amount of money that is not necessary anymore to cover even a very, very comfortable life standard. I mean, the kind of money that is solely used in order to create more money out of it and be used as power and influence, either on the economy or politics, media, you name it. And so we talk about taxation because if you want to do it via donation, it's once more private interest against public interest. Who am I to decide what's good for the world? I'm not a superhero. If rich people were super rich people and not just uber rich people, they'd not be like Batman and, I don't know, bully people. Like if everybody does that without the wealth background, put a mask on and bully people, they end up in jail. But Batman gets the credits. He could also just have Wayne Enterprise make sure that Gotham has the kind of money that the public sector can tackle crime in the way that they should because it's their democratic um, I like a word, task. So how to do this? Taxation helps to democratize power because it gets to redistribute wealth in a democratic fashion where it's not a private interest that decides what's good for everyone, but everyone gets to decide what's good for everyone via voting, via democratic participation. So that's my super long monologue. Hello, everybody. I'm happy to chat. Um, well, th thank you very much. Um, I, I, I very much agree with you because um, once I was introduced to a group in China called the, the Euron Report, which many people don't know it, and it's a media company, and they published the list of wealthy people in the world. So I went to their website and I clicked on Rich List and I started scrolling. And of course, there were hundreds and hundreds of pages to scroll through. And finally, I got to the bottom. And then I had a, a, a shock moment because that list only starts at one billion. So anything under a billion is not even on that list. And then I saw the Credit Suisse report that claims there's 440% percent 
more wealth than there is GDP. Uh, so obviously not all of it is liquid, but 4.4 times. And, you know, so it's, it's really gotten, you know, crazy. But at the same time, you still have to convince policymakers that this is a good idea and they will get reelected if they support this or maybe they won't. How is that going? How are how is are the policymakers responding to you? I could see, you know, progressive people saying this is the right thing to do. But what are what is government you're you're focusing mainly on Germany, I imagine. We're focusing on Germany and Austria at the moment. We also have Switzerland a little bit in the loop, but we're not well represented there as of yet, but we'll get there. The thing is we also we, we don't want to be the ones saying how it should be done, but we want to discuss the fact that it needs to be done and that it needs to be done democratically. So this is a, an easy train to hop on for any kind of politician because like, yeah, the democratic way is super cool. And frankly, I think the issue lies a little bit elsewhere. It lies where politicians, especially in high ranking positions, exit the system. That's when they have to make a living in a different way. And all of a sudden, all of the connections that they made with the wealthy people during their time in politics, because wealthy people hover around policymakers, all of a sudden they pay off the, the amount of transitions we have from from politicians without a cooling off period whatsoever. That is respectable, like that respects that name, that cooling off name. Th this amount of fluctuation is something we should take a look at because it represents the way money via lobbying creates legislation in a very different kind of frame than a democratic frame. They're very eager to say everything is democratic and they have the votes and the mandate and that's fine. But they, even if they say and claim that they will do wealth taxes, for instance, they're not really pushed through it with it enthusiastically because they know as soon as they don't get reelected, because hardly ever, and like a cha chancellor in, in, in Germany hardly ever does. Usually, like Merkel is a huge um, <laughs> um, exception. Usually what happens is you have one legislation period and then you will not be reelected in that kind of way. Transparency around who gets to talk to whom about what and what money flows around this is very, very important. And really, if you look at Germany and Austria, you have polls, recent ones again, like again and again and again, that show that two thirds of population are for a taxation of wealth. And usually about 60 percent are even for taxation of inheritance, which is a nifty topic because so many think that they might be um, subjected to that which is ridiculous because usually they start at one million net value, which hardly anyone ever gets in their lives, even if they work for it, even if they work very, very hard for it. Usually that's just when you when, when it gets passed down, that's how you access this kind of wealth. And even then you have 60% people saying, we want that. We want inheritance tax that are worthy of the name. So we should take that pressure to the streets and make politicians do what they don't want to do. Direct exchange doesn't doesn't work. And so I'm with Ben Phillips, who wrote this book, How to Fight Inequality and Why That Fight Needs You, and who told me that if you get about 4% on the streets, you can get sustainable democratic change. But you have to do it in a democratic and transparent fashion. And that's not exactly the way politicians work, as far as I know right now. Some of them are really super nice people, and they want to do the best, and they will try but the system is broken because if we have a fast forward track for everybody who holds wealth to push through with their private interest, look at the automobile lobby in Germany and how close they always were to everyone in the political sector. Whose interest is really at stake? Everyone's. Whose interest will be heard? 
the automobile lobby. It's not transparent. We need that. We need the transparency aspect in, in order to access policy changes. What, is, what does your family think of you campaigning for a wealth tax? Are they all on board or are you trying to convince your family as with as much challenge as you're trying to convince non-family members? I'm not trying to convince my family of anything. Um, the thing is, if we try to convince wealthy people to pay taxes, this is the wrong target group. <laughs> the target group is the sovereign, which is the people. And that, if you consider wealthy and not wealthy, and I'm talking about high net wealth and ultra high net wealth. Sure. So that's 99% are the ones that we want to convince, not the 1%. Okay. They already have too much influence as it is. And my family, everybody has a right to their private opinion and everybody has a right to hate taxation. But at the end of the day, if you all, all things considered, it's the democratic way of redistribution. Nothing else is as democratic. And we can't say that anyone knows better than everyone. That that is that is despotism. And I don't know if that's a word in English, but mm. authoritarian is that mm. a word in English? Yeah, yeah. And um, so, what do you get access? You know, the, the wealthy get access. Do you get access to the policymakers in in Austria? I'm sorry, I thought you were in Germany. In Austria, to convince them that this is a way of getting reelected. Um, they're seeking contact to tax me now in Germany a bit, but more on the left end of the spectrum. I don't, I'm not interested in that kind of backdoor access anyway. If ever anyone cared to rediscuss things with me or with tax me now, I think this should be highly transparent because we're also doing lobbying work and I'm absolutely contra not, not doing it in a transparent way. So, if they seek access, we can have this discussion. But frankly, they don't need to talk to wealthy people about wealth taxation. They should talk about legal experts who know tax law systems. That's the ones that they should address. They should they should consider what people in the country want and, and figure out what's best for everybody and look at the system in a more complex way, not in a simplistic way of taking something out here and putting something in there, but to realize how everything is very much interconnected and how wealth distribution also affects our climate crisis also affects the whole issues we have around racism and classism and how we shape our society. They can be interested, they can be in touch, but it it will be a transparent talk or it won't be, and they should actually talk to someone else. Is there any um, example or country or province that has um, instituted a wealth tax that you look at as a, an example of a starting point? Any wealth tax is a good starting point. We don't have it in Austria. So that's, <laughs> Anywhere that in Europe, Latin America, Africa, Asia, North America? Um, I'm not familiar with every taxation system like perfectly. So yeah. I don't want to pick one and say this is the one I kind of like. Mm -hmm. Frankly, I think none of them really do what a wealth tax should be doing, because what people are often confuse with ta taxation is, is redistribution in order to get money into the, the flow of public money and, and, and making sure that the infrastructure is well financed. So then the first confusion that happens is state and, and government are not the same. The state is something you always need. The government is the one that will decide how the state works, and those are the ones that you can replace. But you can't replace the state. You need the state. You need some sort of redistribution apparatus. All right, so that's one thing. And the other thing is wealth taxes are not made to create money 
for the state. They are made to diminish power of private people who have too much power. They're there to cut power where it is not democratic and shouldn't be. And then the bonus is that it gets to be money of, that will then be spent publicly, ideally on making sure that the inequality shrinks. I, w I was uh, listening to a podcast the other day, and it was a, from the people who made the push. And she had mentioned that, of all places, Singapore had put was putting in a law that said anyone who was going to buy a second apartment or condo or home would be highly taxed. That second home would be taxed at a much, much higher level to avoid, to try to discourage speculation. I'm sure they figured out a way around it that, you know, the, the tax advisor are, are always, you know, uh, kind of helpful. But now that we see that um, this war in Ukraine has shown the governments can move very quickly when they want to. You know, all of a sudden, um, Germany uh, switched completely its, its, uh, its, poli its politics with Russia, now going for 2% of GDP for military, 100 billion is found for this. So that means they're either going to have to borrow more money or raise taxes. So I would think this is a good time to push for the wealth tax because they, they're going to need some money to cover all of this because they're probably not going to be able to raise taxes a lot from the middle class. Is this an, an opening, an opportunity, even though I know that you'd prefer not to have a wealth tax to fund the military? Hmm. This is difficult because we could have had the same argument around the corona crisis. And mm -hmm. I, would, I would have said health is not what should be on the verge of uh, toppling over for us to finally consider wealth taxation. Wealth taxation needs to be considered out of principle, even if there's no crisis. It's a window of opportunity. You could call it that. I would really be very careful around the framing because to have it framed in order to once more be taxation for the military, that's one of the things that I'm addressed with the most of the time. People tell me, yeah, but what if the stays, state buys weapons? And I'm like, who makes the weapons again? Aren't those private companies? So who makes, like, come on, either you put the criticism where it belongs or you don't put this kind of criticism forward. So I think we should look into wealth taxation out of principle, not targeted to a specific issue. The only issue that wealth taxation should target is the power issue and the inequality issue. Do you, do you find a, a shift and you said that a very high percent of the of uh, the Germans or the Austrians were for a wealth tax. So, as you said, we should be talking to the ninety nine percent. So those would be the ones that would put the the politicians back in, in power. But we still don't really have a wealth tax, and certainly not in Europe. We have you know various tax systems, and in the Netherlands, it's uh, it's become a, a nightmare because. It's very easy to borrow money to buy an apartment building and rent out each of the apartments for a lot of money and pay no taxes on that because that falls under a different system. So, you know, the whole idea of why should wealth or capital gains, money made from investment, be taxed or not taxed or a very low tax compared from somebody who's a teacher or a baker or, you know, car mechanic, uh, it seems obvious, but it still hasn't gone through anywhere. Do you, are you optimistic? 
Yes, I'm, I'm hugely hopeful. I think nothing else makes sense. If I want to be pessimistic, I can shoot myself. Frankly, I don't see the point. If I want to do political work, I should be hopeful and I should be faithful and I should trust people to know what's good for them because that's what democracy is about. Also, letting go a bit and, and realizing that there's a lot of very, very interesting, intelligent, curious and lovely people out there that really just want a good and decent life and that will put an effort into making this happen. So that's my personal standpoint on that. Um, I think what is really important to take a look at, and I re highly recommend to everybody who hasn't read it yet, The Code of Capital by Katharina Pistor. She's also teaching at, I think it's Columbia, but I'm not sure. She's a law professor in the US. It's, it's, it's an incredible piece of work. It's very, very detailed. It's very, very clear in language and well-structured. And it really just shows how the legal system codes capital. Capital only exists if coded legally. So what happens? If you code capital into a legal kind of thing, and a sentence, let's call it a sentence because I lack the other word, you need at least one state in this world to agree that this kind of legislation, this kind of law works. Because what already happened is we have such a deregulated world of, 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 of legal and law issues of all colors that you can, if you have the access to the wealth and to the people who code capital, so to lawyers and attorneys, you can decide about the legislation where you want to have your capital. You can just take a pick and create a contract like, a, I don't know, like a fruit salad. I want a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You just need one state in this world to accept it and to consider it. Yeah, fine. We're fine with that. We accept that. So if you have that and you also have most of capital coding laws done in the common law and done by English legislation and New York City legislation. If you take all of this together, to me, this means it is actually possible to change it. We just need to know about it. We just need to get furious about it as people who want a good life for everyone and not an excellent life for the few. So. My hope is that by making this a topic that everybody has to think about, and frankly, the most important questions everybody can answer, how much is enough? What's the good life for everybody? And who gets to decide? Everybody can answer these questions. And every answer is important. That's how we do democratic thinking. We figure out together what's the bottom line under which we won't go. But we also need to figure out what's the top line above which power disbalance becomes really undemocratic and dangerous. And everything in between, can we create that in between and call it the good life for everyone? If we know about it, if we figure out systems, mechanisms that we can make work, we can also change everything. It'll take time. It'll take a huge amount of effort and relationship work and trust and letting go of money. But it's possible. And that's why I'm hopeful. We've come such a long way. Just consider the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, Article 1. Every human being is born equal in rights and dignity. They are and out with reason and good conscience and should um, uh, treat each other in the, in the spirit of brotherhood, something like that. I'm, I'm not perfectly quoting it, but that's pretty much it. Frankly, what else do you want to know? <laughs> we, have, we have written that. We can, we can also put this into um, politics around money, I guess. Uh, at the moment, you see, <clears throat> I don't know about in, in Germany or Austria, but you do see a lot of um, popular media, television shows, 
with the theme of the wealth tax. I'm not saying that they're supporting it, but they're weaving the whole idea of a wealth tax in TV shows or showing the the pseudo the, the billionaires not as superheroes but as really toxic figures um so you you do have that kind of momentum you do have the the momentum of you know the eu trying to let's let's have a or an international agreement of a base uh, corporate tax for for corporations which is probably not going to achieve what what they wanted and I, I never understood why is it such a problem just for if you don't want to have a wealth tax why not have just a minimum tax that all people need to pay if they're earning ab- above a certain amount it's really it's not that complicated you would save a lot of money and all of these people who are hiding their money and the, and the tax attorneys but even that seems to be nearly impossible to get through because of the lobbying power of the wealthy. Yeah, because it's not about money and about how much you need to pay for something. It's about the power that comes with wealth that people are not willing to let go. And also, the, and there's a word in German, I can't translate it to English, and I've looked it up recently, but I can't find it. In German, it's Selbstverständlichkeit, and it means, it, it loosely translates to self-evidence, and there's this, this sense of evidently, if I have money, it is mine. Nobody gets to have it. Well, that only applies to wealthy people. To confuse wealth that wealth with income is very dangerous. It's not the same. It shouldn't be taxed the same way. That's, that, that only fuels also the, the problem with the capital gains taxes. That should be treated as income when, oh, frankly, there's a whole other system behind it. But that's, I think, the, the, the bottom line that I want to get to, even though I'm not doing it very elegantly today. Um, it's a systems issue. So if you have all of these um, movies about rich people also like not being super, but just being rich, this is a way of capital, making capital off of something that we all know. So it makes us feel kind of comfortable and it will, it, it will kill your creativity. It will put you in a position of, oof, this is a lousy system, but what do we do now? Well, nothing, because let's have some more ice cream. I don't know. The thing is, you need people on the street. And what you need for that is political mobilization and organizing. And you need to to set up ways of protesting and of making voices heard. It's really cool that we have now some kind of pop and media attention to the fact that there is an issue around concentrated wealth. But it doesn't, um, you can't interchange it with political activity. And that's the thing with democracy. It means work. Democracy means work of everybody. Everybody needs to participate. So if we take some people and we force them out of the system because wealth inequality directly affects democratic participation, there is a lot of studies done around this. If you realize that politicians don't do anything for you, you will like let go. You'll be like, nah, or you will vote Trump. This is kind of voting mechanism. It's more complex than that, obviously. But it's also one of the contributors that wealth inequality makes people think it doesn't matter what I do. Nobody will take care of my issues, but it's not 1% that thinks that way. And if we continue the way we do, 50% will think that way. All of a sudden, we'll find ourselves in the system that is very, very, very poorly done. And then it will only down spiral from there. We need to address power disbalance. We need to do it politically. We need to put our efforts in. And that, that we is wealthy we. 
wealthy, we need to address this issue and put a foot down and say, we actually don't agree that wealth taxation is not okay. We can afford it. We want to afford it. Frankly, this kind of power is not okay. Take it back. Take it back and put it to good use. And we will make sure that we go to the street and make sure that we think about what's good use and think about it together. Not me with my foundation, like Jeff Bezos with his, what, 10 billion in his climate thingy, where he probably has it all in a capital stock in Amazon where Amazon is killing people and the planet all over the place and forcing them to, I don't know, pee in diapers and not be able to form a union. And then he's solving the issues with his little foundation that he created. I'm sorry, but that's cynical. And it's disrespectful of the world to think that you know anything better than anyone else. It's just hybris. So we need democracy because we need multi-perspectives. We need everybody to, to participate in how to, how to change things. It's a lot of work. But it's so worth it because it will be sustainable. With, with coming back to what you were t mentioning about wealth and income, people think when a wealth tax that it's they're basically, you know, if they're going whatever job they do, they're going to be have to be paying more tax on what they're earning. But uh, most of these billionaires really take a nearly no salary, and they you know they live off. Uh, the, uh, the the capital gains of their investments, uh, and then they'll borrow money to when they when they exit, and they'll borrow money to because they have to pay some taxes on, on that because of uh, they've they've cashed out. What what would you think is a doable wealth tax that you could actually get? If we let's focus on Austria, you know, sh should should it be that no one no, no one should have more than 100 billion is it should no one should have more than 10 billion because you were talking a lot about power and influence and you could have maybe less money and a lot of influential uh, power a friend of mine was a, the most notorious lobbyist in america the only one that went to jail and he still is a friend of mine and he said the most powerful the most best return on investment is lobbying by far, nothing even comes close. Yeah, there's this book by Chuck Collins. I haven't read it. So I do still recommend it because I want to read it. And I think everybody else should want to read it. It's called Wealth Hoarders, How Billionaires Pay Millions to Hide Trillions. Yeah. <laughs> and he's also uncovered the whole business with the family offices, with them being a shady second financial system that kind of jeopardizes everyone's lives. If, if one of those single office rich kids is really bored with finance market and start speculating in a way that can topple over world economy, you know? So I think coming back to the example that you talked about last year in Germany, we had an election campaign and the social democratic, social democratic party put forward that they wanted a wealth tax. They wanted it. They put it. It's a very conservative model. And it said, all right, we should do 1% for everything above 2 million in private hands and I think 5 million in corporate hands. And we should do that. Uh, wait a second. I have to translate it as, as I go. Exactly. And, and so the um, German Institute for Economical Studies realized that this would only affect 21,000 people. It would bring between 15 and 25 billion extra money to the state. And it's 1%, so that means they could pay it off capital gains. It's a ridiculous, it's, it's really, it's a ridiculous model. And still, nobody 
implemented it. It would make rich people richer nonetheless, just mm. a little slower. And still, it, it doesn't have popularity. And in my eyes, it's a ridiculous model it, because wealth taxes are not made to get a little bit of revenue. They're made to cut power. That's what they're about, actually, if well, used we, democratically. Can you repeat the name of the publication? You, you, I don't think you named the publication. I think you should have named a person, Jack Wilson, or uh, about... Well, you just mentioned a publication that you haven't read or a book... Uh, Chuck read. Collins. Jack Collins. Like, like Charles Chuck, I think, in oh, English, Chuck, right? Chuck Collins. Chuck Do you remember Collins. the name of the book? Wealth Hoarders. Like Wealth people hoarders. sit on their wealth like hens on their <laughs> eggs. Okay. But, you know, nothing hatches out of money other, other than money. And really, what for? I remember um, a, a public school friend of mine worked at a company called Cantor Fitzgerald, which was a big trader and lost many people in the World Trade Center. We And I caught up with them after many years. My wife is very outspoken. Um, so he was saying about the work he did in trading money. And she, she asked him, I don't understand what is the fun of trading money? She's an anthropologist. So he said, yeah, you're making a million dollars in 10 minutes, you know. And she said, I, I still don't get it. What is the fun of trading money? It was such a disconnect on, on a cultural level, not even understanding, you know, uh, what is that? But there seems to be some kind of obsessive behavior on this hoarding, that it's never enough. Yeah, I think there's multiple reasons to it, and it's a very complex thing. But I have a personal theory, because I'm interested in the one level that I can actually access with all my thinking, which is the personal level. Also, if I think, consider my own uh, story and, and what I know of, people that I know who have wealth. And it's a game. You know, if you're on the financial market, what you do is you, it's such an abstract way of thinking about things. You don't see anything. Everything's hidden. You don't see people working in companies where you put your investment. Other than if you travel there, perhaps. It's very rare that you have an actual idea of what's going on. So the only thing that remains visible is numbers going up and down like a game. Yeah. So I get it if that people want to play, but if lives are at stake, that's not a game that we should allow to be played that way. There's a lot of rules that we need to implement first and then let them have their game, but let also have rules that make sure that the lives are really protected. And also the resources are protected and the planet is protected. We should make sure of that first and then let's go and game. But something else that people are always astonished when I say that is I'm not born into financial competence. I was born into wealth, but I have no idea how to handle it. Nobody taught me that. Nobody will teach me that unless I go and make a course. Or if I, what usually happens is that you pay the people that know how to do it. Financial advisory is a, it's very lucrative. I mean, you can earn a lot of money by telling other people how to use money. It's very interesting to see that dynamics. And so I did t pay for a course and I wanted to get some financial literacy in order to have an idea of what I'm doing and what I shouldn't be doing. And at the end of the day, what what really struck me was that when you ask people and you have them in an honest setting, they will admit that they also can't imagine these numbers. They're too big. What is 10 billion? Can you imagine 10 billion? Nobody can imagine that. And there's a reason why you can't. It's just unimaginable. It's an amount that you, you can't even picture. Like, let's say you put, picture it in, in potatoes. You can't picture a billion potatoes. You can picture a lot of them, but you can't say, I have the exact picture of what a, what a billion potatoes looks like. You have no idea, or a billion coins, if you will, if you want to remain in money terms. And so the brain, in order to 
deal with this needs to do abstract uh, what's the word in english in in german it's easier to say but you need to make sure that you get away from this concrete picture idea and only work the picture i think it's abstraction that i want to say but i'm not sure if that's an english term Mm-hmm. So basically what happens is you have to use your imagination a lot. And this disconnects you from what really happens. And this turns the game into a fun thing and not into a dangerous thing where at the end of the day, if you win, someone has lost. But who has lost? And you don't get to see that. You don't see the loss. We have exported poverty and horrible working conditions. I mean, we do still have them in Europe and in the US alike, but we have exported a lot of it for the sake of profit. We exploit nations worldwide that first we colonized, deprived of their common history by taking all of their cultural goods as well and not returning them. We deny reparations, even though we do now have a little bit of a discourse around that this was not kind of, you know, right. But we don't really give them back the power that is their power in order for them to live the life that is their life, that we don't get the, like the development work. That's just paternalistic humbug. I'm sorry, but you can't go to other places and tell them how to live their lives. Return the resources you took from them and say, we're very, very sorry. Please, 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 let's try to make this work in. But you don't go there and say, well, you're very underdeveloped. We now tell you how to really, you know, become civilized. What? No. If everybody comes to your house and tells you how to hoover, you're going <laughs> to kick them out. And rightfully so. But uh, I mean, Me- kind of deviate. Uh, I'm going to start taking some questions. Melanie, my favorite ethical hacker, uh, had a question. Have you considered partnering with Extinction Rebellion or the Money Rebellion? Maybe they could help you to get to that 4% of voters. We're in touch um, with movements. We try to figure out which alliances work in, in Germany. And uh, slowly, we'll also try to figure this out for Austria. And um, we also want to make sure that when we do that, that we don't start because it's just fun to talk about it, but to actually be able to help facilitate demonstration, protests and stuff like that, actions, campaigning. So we slowly but shortly want to get there. And I'm in touch with people and I hope that it will be fruitful eventually. But it, it's it's okay that this takes a little time in order for it to work out. Good, good, good point, though. Uh, okay, what is this? Uh, Aaron, I'm a bit old-fashioned and think that we should visit the sites of these companies, the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. Bob Smith was famous for being one of the few financial professionals who would actually visit the site locations of the companies that he got financing for and would perform fundamental analysis on sites, see the workers, see the executives, see the stakeholders, possibly. Um, oh, someone, uh, one of the lawyers here wants to help you. So um, they can connect with you. But um, how long has Tax Me Now been operating? We started in June last year. Oh, okay. So it's been very short. Yeah, but it's been it's been one hell of a ride, if I may say so. So, so you're actually you're seeing significant momentum and results, at least within the German-speaking area. Do you think that Switzerland will be the first? Or do you think Austria or Germany? I think Germany has the highest potential right now. Also because it's the area we've covered best so far. And also we gained a lot of momentum because of the election campaign last year where we mingled ourselves into the whole discussion scene. 
and um, we're still very there's a high demand uh, on on having people from tax me now uh, tell everyone what they always tell everyone which is hey we're wealthy we really want to get taxed and uh, and it works well and we get a lot of feedback and the momentum grows let's see how how it, how it goes it, it's mainly uh, European correct the, your members. Yeah. It's uh, www.taxmenow.eu. We do have plans eventually to go beyond the German-speaking border, but that will be... Unfortunately, we, we know that this might take a while, and fair enough. But we're also in touch with Patriotic Millionaires, um, the UK division particularly, and with Millionaires for Humanity. Everybody agrees that these names are awful, and yet they're there. Like, a little transparent, very, you know, it's, it's hubris again. It's like, oh, we're the millionaires, we're not going to save the planet. No, you're not. No, you're not. But it's good if, if there is momentum, if there is people who want to participate in having political change done democratically. And do you have any interest from Asia? Not yet. I mean, we, we want to get in touch with some people where I know that there might be interest, but not as of yet. And I think we couldn't coordinate it well right now. Okay. It would be just too much if we consider human power that we have at hand. Well, I'm happy to connect you with interesting uh, movers and shakers and organizations. I'm not sure if uh, they're at that level of awareness because you have, you know, some countries that have such a low level of, you know, minimum taxations and very much into real estate wealth. So it might take a while for their level of awareness and understanding. Is this mainly, are most of the members or people involved in Tax Me Now, are they mainly under a certain age or is it just the whole spectrum? Actually, we're kind of like very all over the place. We have very different amounts of wealth. Some don't have any wealth and still want to participate and join forces and um, support us in our work. And so we we try to just be as many and merry as possible in order to make this happen. Really, there's all kinds of ages, gender, race, everything. And race, not so much as of yet, because Germany and Austria also have an issue around white privilege that they don't really face and address. And so this is reflected in, in, the, in, in the members that we have. But um, I'm looking forward to making sure that this becomes part of the discussion. Also, is around Asia, I think with taxation, you have to be very careful if you if you have a non-democratic society. I don't know about anyone else here, but I can't, I don't know what it's like to be in, an, in a regime where you don't have a democracy, at least a formal one. I mean, it looks more like an elite oligarchy right now than like a democracy. And yet we do have freedom of speech, freedom of um, getting together. I don't know what the word is in English. You're allowed to demonstrate in the street, basically. And you do have the right to vote and all of that. And if you don't have that, if you're suppressed in a kind of way that I can't imagine, I don't want to tell them how to fight their fight. That's not my place. But in the countries where we do have the system, which is a lot of the European countries, and talking geographical Europe, not European Union, there there's the opportunity of doing it and of leading the way and of showing that it's possible and of also making this into a hopeful thing and showing that if we can really implement democracy, we can also implement equality in a very different kind of, of, of way. And so I don't, not all of the countries in, in Asia have democracy issues, but if they do just to have a wealth tax, it's not going to solve anything. The movements there need support. The movements that work for democratic change need support because they will be the ones 
making sure that the system is ready for this kind of distribution discussion. But they can only tell it themselves, not not us. So that's why with Asia, I'm also very, I'm just not an expert on anything there. So I, I'm hesitant about being in touch so far. You've probably been asked this question a lot as to what should the wealth tax be? What level does it need? Because for you, the impression I get is it's not only about collecting money. It's very much about reducing the power and influence of the uber rich, a very yes. small group. So how much is enough to reduce that power? Have you, I'm, pro, I'm sure you've thought of this for a long time. I've tried. And the thing is, um, so I've read this book and I don't think it's uh, available in English. It's called Überreichtum by Martin Schurz. It means uber richness, if I translate it literally, or, the, or uber wealth, if you will. Mm-hmm. And basically what he says, and I think the idea he puts, like he, he works on is very interesting and should get more attention. If you have poverty, like you have a threshold underneath that, you consider a person poor. You have it in an international level and every country has their own little threshold where they go like, if you have less than that, you're poor. You don't have that for wealth. We don't have that. So we need a threshold there as well. And he says we need it for a certain reason. In order to compare poverty to wealth, you need to define what it actually is. And unless you have a threshold, which is a number at the end of the day, an amount, unless you get this threshold and this amount of wealth where too much is then defined and too much is defined as the possibility of using this now wealth has become power in a, in, a, in a problematic way because you just can't be sure that someone who has power in a private and, and, and has private interest and no mandate will use it properly. You, you don't get this kind of security. And so if you get this threshold, you get this amount, you know what's too much, then you can talk about how high the wealth tax actually should be in order to make sure that power is reduced. Or you could just say above this threshold, 100% go off. And should there also be parallel with a wealth tax, a UBI, universal basic income? It's an interesting thing, and I'm not very savvy around the UBI. I've tried to do a little bit of research, but like, I have to be honest, it's not a lot of research. I think it's an interesting tool, but I think what it also does is it tunes in with people who want a fast solution, a click politic solution. And it's not going to be a universal solution just because it is a universal basic income. A lot of, what's the word, rules we already have in policies, uh, in policymaking, in order to reduce inequality and also make sure that, let's that financial security is 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 uh, is distributed in a more broad way. A lot of those tools that already work, we know, and are not the universal basic income. Where you can, for instance, say that, well, for starters, you can't just hire and fire. For instance, you need a certain time period where you guarantee people that they have time to find another job. You can't pay people less than. You can't this and this and this. Like you need a set of rules first for the system because the UBI will not solve a systemic problem. Right. But it can be part of a systemic solution. It will not be the systemic solution. And I think that's the most important thing about the UBI to be considered. If it's just applied in an in an already rotten system, it won't really help. People will just be like, oh, you know, everybody has now this li- this income at least, so let's raise those prices, don't won't we? You know, I mean, that that might happen. 
Do you, do you think that the wealthy, for them, it's not about losing their wealth, but losing their influence, which is why there's always been pushback. So you don't really believe that they're worried about losing money. Because no. most of the very wealthy I've seen are very obsessed about not losing money. Perhaps they might be. It's an individual thing. I've also known a lot of wealthy people who, let's put it this way, I have observed many wealthy people starting to identify with their wealth. And that's an issue because as soon as you attack their wealth, you attack them. As soon as you say we need to reduce your wealth, it means yeah, we need to cut you in pieces. If this identification process is really in a, in a forwarded stage, I don't know if that was an English sentence, but I hope people understood anyway. You got it. <laughs> and so why do they do that? It's not about saying this is ridiculous or it's stupid or it's that's why. It's why, why does it happen? What is it with wealth? And I think it's this power thing because I've thought, I've thought about money a bit lately, um, trying to write down some thoughts. And what I find is money can be, it's like a, this magic, magic trick. You can turn money into everything other than one thing. And this one thing that you can't get for money is the key thing that everybody wants. It's relationships. Everybody wants relationships. Be them. Like they, they can be professional. But most of the time, if you ask people on their deathbeds, what, what do they regret most? There was a book on this in Germany by a nurse in, in, in intensive care. Um, and she said, Everybody that I have accompanied on their deathbed who had wealth told me that the only thing they regretted was they didn't spend enough time with the people they loved. They were sad about the relationships that they had not done anything to contribute to having a good one. You know, that was not a sentence either. They were sad about relationships that didn't work out, time that they didn't spend with people that they loved. That was the main thing. I'm not saying it's the only thing in the world that people want. They want a lot of things, but... Mm. Why are we so good at creating huge societies? Because we're really good at handling relationships, even very complex ones. We're very good at that. That's what is really very, very human, to create relationships and bonds and, and do something together and create something together. And politics is nothing but relationship work on the macro scale. It's people talking together about how to use the money in the group um, account for the big group that we try to feed, you know? If you think in these terms, and money can't buy that. It can't buy the process of having a good relationship. But you need the process of having a good relationship in order to get a good relationship. A good relationship is only reflecting its own process. If the process is rotten, the relationship is rotten. And with money, what you tend to try, especially when it's in less close relationships, what you tend to buy is the end of it. Money is a means to an end, but a means to its own end. And the problem is then that you can't buy a loving and caring relationship. You can buy sex, for instance, but you can't buy intimacy. You can buy dinner, but you can't buy friendship. Friendship doesn't care for millions. True friendship is about being there for one another, listening to rubbish that I say, and then I listen to rubbish they say, and we laugh about it. Being there, spending time, helping each other out. That's what, that's what you can't access with wealth, but so many people try. And why do they try? Because comfort kills creativity. With a lot of wealth, you're in a comfortable position. Usually you, you, you become used to being able to buy everything. That's what I experienced. I was to being able to buy everything. But I can't buy a relationship. I actually have to put some effort in there. 
And I can't also force my will onto someone. And someone who's not able to do relationship work will use their power if they have any. And so you see that with bullies, is that they are not able to figure out a relationship. So what they res- resort to is using their perhaps physical strength, but a bully doesn't need, need to be someone with physical strength. It can also be financial strength. And you see that two things are very interesting to look at. If you want to fight climate crisis, one of the best things you can do is help women in the global south be financially independent why does it go together because they can't be bullied into anything and they will make very good money decisions and help thus help um fight climate crisis and also if you look at um the 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 women the uh, feminist movement to get women to be allowed to work i don't know how it was in in america but in, in in germany up until i think the late 70s or something Men were out to say, I don't allow my wife to work. She can't go and access the job market. She must stay home, bear children and cook for me all day long. And in Austria, you were allowed to rape a woman if you were married to her until 2004. You know what I mean? What what happens there, I don't, it's not about talking about rape or sexism or anything. It's It's talking about power issues, power disbalance. When you can force your will onto someone else because you don't have to do the relationship work because it's always... It's always clumsy. It's tiresome. It's a lot of work. If you want to take the fast forward ticket, you will use whatever you have, be it your brutal strength or be it your financial strength. And that's what happens in the economy. People use their, their private wealth in order to make sure that they get an end that has not gone through a process. They buy themselves the way out. But frankly, what, what, what happens is since there hasn't been a process, it's usually a rotten product. So getting back to those people focusing on their wealth, I think it's an identity issue when it becomes identity and you use it in order to have a power tool where you can use your, where you can influence your relationships. It creates very sad people at the end of the day on all ends of the spectrum. I don't think that's worth maintaining. Well said. Uh, Melanie wanted to know, have you thought about promoting steward ownership and nonprofit business models it prevents the creation, amassing of generational wealth in the first place. It's very interesting. I was recently in a talk with one of the people from Purpose Ventures and Purpose something something, I forget the name, uh, in Germany who do just that. It's And now I remember, student ownership in Germany, you call it purpose ownership, like yeah. if I translate it literally. It's very interesting. I don't own a business, but I'm ab- absolutely in, into talking about it and making sure that there, we find alternative ways of saying what, what's the idea behind having a company anyway? Is it about making profit or is it about creating something and, and working towards an idea? And also, it's okay that this company perhaps one day dies because they've done their job mm-hmm. and that's fine. And no lives depend on it that way. It's an interesting thing. Um, we're, we're coming towards the end of the hour, and I'm conscious of your time. What can this audience that's listening live now and those who watch it, the tape, what can they do to help you? Um, what can I do to help them, right? Um, I think <laughs> if it makes sense, because you're really happy to actively engage feel free to reach out to hello at taxmenow.eu and drop us a line and maybe something comes off it. Also, it's always helpful to realize, okay, so what are my personal areas of 
democratic influence where it can work and that can start with knowing who represents you in parliament or in, in I don't know, in, in the community and talk to them and talk talk about taxation in the wealth context. If you are in the wealth business, whatever that business means, financial advisory, I don't know. Talk about tax optimization and consider that perhaps paying more tax is better than paying less. Just consider it. Starting to think about these ideas makes a lot of difference. And I think also sometimes to realize that democracy means that we need to work together for something that's good for everybody and that public interest is more important than private interest because ultimately, if public interest serves for a good life, it will also make sure that I have a good life. If everybody is doing well, I will be doing well. And to vote accordingly is not always hard and it's not always straightforward. I think those are things that everybody can do and everybody in their own way. And if we all come together with our own little tweaks and turns and twists to the system, eventually we'll have systemic change. It's okay if it takes time. It's okay if it takes work. But it's 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 doable. And so really curious to see whoever wants to reach out via Helloet <laughs> and to see what comes off it. And um, yeah, I think we should all be hopeful. Well, I will um, add that to the final um, email where the replay of this is sent to everyone who registered, even those who weren't able to join us um, live. Um, and with just one comment about the wealth managers who I've been um, dealing with for a long time. I once said to the head of Goldman Sachs in the Netherlands, in the Benelux, I have a feeling that the investment manager is wrong half the time. And he said, no, no, three quarters. So I, I said to him, I was thinking, would I go back to a car mechanic or a doctor or a dentist or a painter if they were wrong 75% of the time? So this group is vastly overpaid by at least a factor of four. And most of the time they underperform. And I think that's also an issue that we have to be a bit more critical and not put them on this pedestal as geniuses. Thank you to our guest and audience for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more, please subscribe where you listen to your podcast. This was Radical Truth. Stay safe. Stay safe.